Well, good morning. How's everybody? Are y'all good? Yeah. Are y'all, I feel like y'all are kind of dead. Y'all need to kind of, that first service, boy, it, I mean, it might be early, but they were getting after it. Uh, we've had a great morning so far. I know it's the, uh, can you believe, I mean, it's like the last weekend of summer, really. I mean, some of you might have had kids that started school this week. I know ours start on Tuesday. And it's crazy to think that summer uh, is over. I mean, it like came and gone, right? I don't know if you feel that way. Uh, for us, it was just a, like a flash in the pan almost. But um, one thing that does excite me, which you might be kind of in one camp where you're like, hey, I'm not ready for it to end. I like my kids at home and like the freedom and staying up late and letting them sleep in. Some of you are like, no, get my kids out of the house. I'm ready for some structure or whatever. Um, But wherever you fall, one of the things I love about the start of school year is one, that means cooler weather is coming. All right, can I get an amen? The last two weeks, I like, hey, I hate stepping outside and sweating. All right, I just hate it. Um, So you have that. But then second, when school starts, that means college football is right around the corner. Can I get an amen? All right. So, uh, man, I love that, even though I'm a Tennessee fan and they always lose. All right. So, um, and I'm also a Falcons fan in preseason. I know it's preseason, but they stunk too. So, uh, who knows? Uh, the Braves are finally turned around, so that's good. But, uh, but it's, uh, it's crazy that summer has come to an end. I missed you guys. I was not here last week. I had an opportunity. Um, for those of you who may or may not know, our church uh, partners uh, with several churches in the upstate, one of them being uh, a small church called Deneen Baptist Church. It's uh, close to Memorial Hospital, and it's uh, really, Deneen was a mill village. The mill pulled out, and the church that was there um, really has declined over the last 15, 20 years. And so they reached out to us, and we partner with them to kind of help renovate and kind of resuscitate and revitalize that church. And so I had an opportunity to preach down there. Also was able to go to our Malden campus uh, last week. They moved into their facility, newly renovated last Sunday. But um, what's exciting is next Sunday, the 22nd, both our Malden campus and our Anderson campus um, are launching their public launches. So let's be praying for that. I mean, exciting, exciting things um, in the life of our church. So if you have friends in Malden or in Anderson, invite them to be a part of that. We have an incredible morning. We are concluding our very last week, week 11, in the book of Philippians, this letter written by Paul uh, to the church of Philippi. So we're concluding that. Um, at the end of the message today, we'll, um, we'll walk through and celebrate communion together. So that's always awesome. We haven't done that in a long time. And I have four pages of notes, so we got to buckle up and get after it, okay? Because usually I have two, so y'all are all in trouble. We're going to be here till two. All right? Just kidding. I wouldn't do that to you, all right? So are y'all okay this morning? I feel like y'all are just, you're like, that's not funny. Shut up, okay? Uh, but, um, but if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians 4. But before we do that, this really wanted to share my heart. Um, if you're new or have kind of been visiting the last couple weeks, um, some of you already know this because you were here from day one. But uh, we launched this campus. Uh, our very first Sunday was March 31st of 2019. So we moved in, had our first service, started walking through that. Well, within nine months, man, it was incredible what God was doing. And by um, the ninth month, not even a year yet, we had to um, move to two services. And so our first service was packed, so we added our 1110 service, which you're in now. And, um, and that was going well. We started that at the end of January of 2020. And a month of doing that, then COVID hit. And as it wreaked havoc on everybody and all of our 
routines and everything. It did that for the church. We shut down for a period of time. And then we started back up, and it's just been kind of slow, which is, I mean, that has faced the church, um, capital C Church, across the world, really. Some churches still aren't meeting, um, just doing online, that kind of stuff. We've been very fortunate um, here. But one of the challenges that we face in that is that as a new church, man, we, we really, you know, it's kind of like the first six months, everybody was new, right? Everybody was new, and developing community uh, was something that we desired. We really, if you were here from day one, you know, my heart, our church's heart was to really uh, model the community that we have and how we know each other. Really what you see in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4, where the early church, the believers, it says that they were gathered together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread and the fellowship. So they're hanging out. They're doing life together. And we think, I think that's huge. And one of the things that it says in Scripture is because of that, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And so I really do believe that because of that community, lives are being radically changed for the gospel. Well, we weren't able to really do that because of COVID. We just kind of started small groups, and then COVID hit, so we had to tear all that down. But um, in, in two weeks, we're going to be doing a thing called Group Link, and we're doing this across all of our campuses. And I want to challenge you to be a part of that type of community where you are with people I'm in a small group setting. We'll have options that meet at homes midweek. We'll have op an option um, at our downtown campus on Wednesday. Uh, we'll have an uh, option here. All those things to get engaged and, and really lean into walking with Jesus with other people. Uh, I know we're all busy, all right? I have three kids. They play sports. I know it's hard. But really start thinking about how can I make that a priority for me and my family, my spouse, to get involved in that. And so we'll be doing that on the 29th and two Sundays. You'll have opportunity to meet small group leaders, kind of see when they meet. Maybe you're like, hey, I'm interested in leading a small group. Hey, come talk to me. We'll walk through that. Um, but that's really in that. I mean, that's what Jesus did. That was a he had a small group. They're called the disciples, right? And so get, get us together, build that community, build some great relationships. So just wanted to mention that before we dig in uh, this morning. But as we conclude in Philippians, we are going to see Paul really kind of concludes this letter. Not really, he does, with this idea of contentment. And so I want to read this, and we're going to kind of walk through it this morning before we celebrate through communion. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me. This is Philippians 4. It'll also be on the screens. We're going to start in verse 10. Paul says this in his letter. He said, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly now uh, that now at length you have... Uh, revived your concern for me. So pretty much, hey, I, I've explained a lot in this letter. Um, thank you for reaching out. I'm reaching out to you. He says, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Uh, now that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. We're going to kind of, this is set up the framework of where we're going this morning. Paul says, I've learned that in whatever situation I am, I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. And in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Now here's the most famous, right? Other than like John 3.16, you have Philippians 4.13. You know, I think Tim Tebow had it on his eye, his black stuff on his eyes. I can do all things through him, who strengthens me. 
Verse 14, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, that's the area where um, the church of Philippi was, and that um, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into a partnership with me in giving and receiving except you. Even in in, um, Thessalonica, you sent me uh, help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from, and I'm going to totally botch this name, okay? It's like Aphroditus, uh, uh, I don't even know, okay? But you get it. The gifts who uh, you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory and forever and ever. Amen. And then he concludes, says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers um, who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And so we see this vein, we see this theme of contentment, right? Paul's been talking about it through this whole letter. He's really saying, hey, everything and anything needs to come from from God and our life in him. But he really closes out challenging this, this idea of contentment. Now, if you think about us, I mean, really think about it. True contentment seems like a foreign concept, right? It seems like, I don't know if you battle with this, but for me, when I think of true contentment, man, it's hard to really kind of wrap your brain around because it feels like you and I are cursed with this, really it's a sin problem of we always want more. And, and so to be truly content really seems impossible, right? I mean, think about this, okay? Let me digress a little bit, and I know I'm going to sound, especially for the teenagers and younger in the room, I'm going to sound like a grumpy old man right here, so just entertain me for a second, all right? Now, I remember, like, growing up, which wasn't that long ago, you know, walking up in the hill both ways in the snow. No, not that, okay? But if you think about it, man, life just seemed, it was different, and it just seemed more simple. Like, I remember going, coming home from school, going outside to play. No one had to tell me to go outside to play or to get off the TV or get off of playing Xbox. I just went outside, and I knew it was time to come home because either the street lights came on, right, or my mom yelled at the top of her lungs, Dustin, it's time for dinner, right? Did you have a crazy mom like that too? They were all crazy, all right? And so my mom would yell at that, and we didn't have to worry about, you know, to stay inside the yard, man. We would go and play until it got dark, and that's why the fall always was horrible because it gets dark at like 4 o'clock in the south, and you're like, I don't want to go inside. And you would come home. There was no cell phones, right? If you had a cell phone, it was like the size of like a loaf of bread, you know? It was like the Zach Morris Saved by the Bell, like, hey, how's it going type thing. So for many of us, we couldn't afford a cell phone, so we had a pager. Do you remember those? right? A beeper. The, the teenagers are like, what are you talking about right now? Like, I remember I, I spoke one time um, in student ministry, and I had an old concept player, like Graphic T from Old Navy, and the kid, like, came up to me after the message, and he said, I've been looking at your shirt. What is that on your shirt? I'm like, a cassette player. He's like, what's that? That's what, like, a beeper feels like, but I had a pager. I thought it was so cool, and then you had, like, the stigma. If you had two pagers, you were a drug dealer. Do you remember that? Like, why do you need two pagers? I, I never got one's business, one's personal, whatever, but it was this. 
it was simple, right? And if you, wanted, if you wanted the newest music, you had to go buy the CD like at a store. You didn't download it. But think about the world we live in now. Man, we, everything is at our fingertips. And it's great in a lot of ways. I mean, it's very convenient. Man, you want a burger from Five Guys? You just get a Grubhub, go to the app, download that thing. You can pick it up, have it delivered, whatever. You want something, you don't want to go to Walmart to get it? I don't blame you, okay? You order on Amazon. You can get like the next day sometimes if you have a Prime account. And so you have all these things. You want to watch a show and you're, you don't want to wait, man, you could download it on Apple or watch it on Netflix or everything. It's like, I remember I had to wait till Saturday morning to watch good cartoons. And now it's like, not only do you have Cartoon Network, but now everything's on Disney Plus, right? And so it seems so, um, so interesting and just everything is at our fingertips. And I say that because when you think about contentment, Anything that we want, desire, or need is really easy to get. We just live in a world right now that all those things are super easy. Um, it's not as um, simple and complicated maybe at the same time as it was then. And so this idea of, hey, if you, if you have a need, just order it online, all right? Go, go pick it up real quick somewhere. And, and so what ends up happening is we kind of feed the monster that is with, within us and with society. And it kind of is like, I don't know if you're like this. It's like when you go to Chick-fil-A and your order isn't really fast and you have to wait, what do you do? You complain, right? You're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe it took so long. Well, you know what? If you went to McDonald's, all right, especially if you wanted to shake because their ice cream machine's always broken, you would have waited 30 minutes. So it's all a matter of perspective, right? And, and so it comes to that, like with us for contentment to think about how can we be content? And, and you really think about it, while true contentment seems foreign, really true contentment is what we all need, what we desire. We want that. I think we really do want to feel fully satisfied. We don't want to feel like this desire, I need a bigger house, a better car, a better job, I need these things for my kids, all this other stuff. And those things are like true contentment, reaching that point is not natural to us. I mean, think about, for those of you who have kids, I mean, Kids aren't content, are they? It's like you can let your kids play on Xbox for 10 hours today. Like you really could let them play. You say it's time to get off. Oh, man, can we play longer? I'm like, 10 hours isn't enough? You know, think about that. So it's ingrained in us, but it's what we desire and what we need. We, we don't want to be chasing that all the time, especially as believers. We want to be content. We want to be satisfied. We want to reach that um, desire if you will. Um, in the mid-1600s, there was this, um, this Frenchman. His name is uh, Blaise Pascal. You might have heard of him. He was actually a child prodigy and did a lot of things at the age of like 13 and 14. But he was this French mathematician. He was an inventor, a philosopher, a theologian. And he did a lot of different things, I mean, to, to really geek you out. Um, he, like, he could be attributed to the prob probability theory in math. Okay, that's nerd alert, okay? So he has that. He um, really um, studied and um, brought perfection to, like, the science behind the vacuum. Not like this vacuum, but like, you know, like vacuuming. I don't even know. But anyway, he has a lot of things. But he wrote this theological work in 1670, and, and here's a quote that I just wanted to read because he, he understood this. It's probably his most influential theological work. He says this, What else does this craving and this helplessness, talking about our desire within, proclaim, but that there was once in man a true happiness, of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. 
This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there, um, the help he cannot find in those that are there. And though none can help, since the infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, by God himself. So he hits on this vein of we all have this desire to fill this void. It actually later goes on. He says, he really calls it, and and it's been made famous by him, as this God-shaped hole or God-shaped void. That every single one of us are designed, okay, biblically speaking, to find our satisfaction in God. And when that isn't filled with God, it's like there's this void, there's this hole in our life, and we try to fit it with other things. And so think about like when you're in preschool and you have like that, um, I don't know, that box or whatever, that cube, and you try to put the cube into the hole, you know, that's round and it just doesn't fit. We try to fit things into that God-shaped hole in our life with aren't necessarily bad things, but things that don't fit where God should be in our life. And so if we're going to have true contentment, it is with God and God alone. And that's what Paul is pressing in here. He knew this way before uh, Blaise Pascal. And he says, hey, this is what contentment, I've learned it. I know what it's about. Not that he's perfected it, but he's saying, I've learned this contentment. He's essentially saying, I don't need anything. I have God. And God is everything in this. And so what ends up happening is Paul, and what I want to kind of um, throw out as he's learning this, he throws out these two comments. And before he does this, we need to understand the English translation right here in our Bible doesn't really do it any justice because in, in the Greek, he's talking about, because he says, I've learned contentment in these two ways. He says it um, first, I've, I've learned um, in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and how to be abound in in any and every circumstance. Well, the word learned there is really more from a um, intellectual learned, that mentally he has learned, he has read about, he has seen from other people. He has learned, hey, this is what it means to be content. And so, you know, I mean, certainly Paul was looking at the Old Testament scriptures, like Psalm 63, 3, when David says, talking about God, God, your steadfast love is better than life. So he's like, okay, I need to be content in God. The psalmist Psalm 4, 7 says this, um, talking about God. um, You have put more, more joy in my heart, God, than they, talking about other people, have when their grain and their wine abound. So when all their materialistic needs are met, you put more joy in my heart, God, than those other things. And so... Surely Paul is leaning in and intellectually seeing these stories of the Old Testament where God is bigger than food and shelter and and these items. But then later, Paul says that he's learned these things, right? And it's more of an experience. Now think about this. Surely Paul has learned how to be content with God when he's sitting in a Roman jail cell thinking, okay, I might die right now. That he has to lean heavily on God and find contentment in that. And that's the kind of experience that he's here, uh, is talking about here. And so with that, he kind of says these things. So I want to kind of present to you two statements that I believe Paul is saying to the church uh, of uh, Philippi. And what I think are true statements that if we can be faithful in these things, would totally change our walk with God. The first one being, right, I find contentment when Christ 
is the source of my strength. I find contentment when Christ is the source of my strength. Now, the first part, the source, think about this. We find a lot of other things, just being real, that we try to find strength in our life, to try to sustain us, whether that's success, money, our family, uh, our works, who we are, our identity, all those things. I mean, those things are things that we should be proud of, but they shouldn't be central to our walk with God, that God needs to be the source of our strength. So usually we try to find power in the other things uh, that aren't of God. And if, if I'm just going to be real, real and transparent, how often do we go through really crummy things and circumstances in our life when it's really bad, it really stinks, and we're like, okay, where is God? And God is the very last person we go to. I mean, think about that. We go to other things, okay? Let me give you a personal illustration. I went off to my first year of college. I came home, and just being real, um, I, I was met with a situation within my family um, that someone committed credit card fraud against me. And never would I thought that a family member would do this, but I remember coming home trying to find my first apartment, and they're like, your credit's bad. I'm like, I don't have any credit. They're like, oh, yeah. And then you find that there's two credit cards in your name close to, uh, it's like a little over $13,500. So, <laughs> welcome to adulthood. And, and so in that process, man, I didn't know what to do. I, I, was, I was mad. I was angry. I was hurt. All these other things. But Instead of going to God, you know what I did? Which is totally natural. I went to all my friends. Hey, what would you do in this situation? What would you do in this situation? Hey, how would you go about doing this? Hey, what should I do? Give me your advice. I remember even Googling, what should I do? Like, how do you go about doing this or whatever? Because really the only way to really take care of it was to press charges, and I didn't want to do that. And so what do you do? And after a year-long agonizing, if you've ever worked with any kind of creditors uh, trying to get anything off your credit report, you know how crazy it is, okay? After a year, I was like, you know what? I guess I should probably talk to God about this. <laughs> because I was just, I'll be honest, like I was angry. I was bitter. I was resentful. I was hurt. I was confused. All those things. And I went to God last in that. And I think it would be so much different if we went to God first. And Paul is saying, hey, he is the source of my strength. I can do all things through him, not yourself, but through him. And so finding strength in God should be our first move, not our last. I mean, think about this. Jesus taught this in John 15 when he uses this beautiful illustration of vine and branches. He says this, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it's he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You don't think Paul was thinking about that? Apart from God, you can do nothing? When he writes the, the same language, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, they're parallel to each other. We have to abide in God. We have to rest in God. He has to be the source of our strength. Now, I don't know about this. We live in a world that says, hey, man, you can get through it by yourself. You know, just watch this YouTube video. Read this self-help book. You know, I'm always, I always laugh when I go to Barnes & Noble and you see the huge section of self-help self books. Now, I don't know about you if you feel this way. 
I'm in the problems that I face every day because of me. <laughs> I don't need more help of myself. I look in the mirror, I'm like, yep, you're the one that screwed it up today, <laughs> all right? I don't need more help from me. I need God's help. I need his power. I need his grace. I can't do it alone. I want to rest in him, abide in him. And that's what Paul is saying. Hey, your strength and the way you find contentment is only going to be through him. And then the second thing is what Paul's saying and a statement that we could say is, I find contentment when God is the source of my supply. Now, my supply, that sounds real churchy, okay? You don't walk around and be like, you're my supply today, God, okay? But what, what we're saying there is that he is the one that meets your needs. And really, whatever your needs are, whatever you have and whatever um, you don't have is exactly what you need. Now, we all have desires and wants and, and dreams and all these things, and I'm not saying you shouldn't have those things, but at the end of the day, whatever you have right now, today, this morning is exactly what you need. It's exactly what God has given you. He is the source of all those things. Whether you want a boat, whether you want a bigger house, whatever, whether you want this or that, whatever you have right now is exactly what God has supplied to you right now. Some of us have been blessed more than others with materialistic things, but that's not what defines our satisfaction in God. Now, I don't know if you've ever traveled, done a mission trip. I'm going to tell you. I've said this before. I've been to third world countries where they are like in a 10 by 10 house made out of like pieces of metal, scrap metal, and no running water. And they're like, the, they're the happiest kids on the face of this planet. Now, you might be like, well, they're not blessed with the big houses of America and cars and electricity and TV, and they don't have an Xbox, you know. My kids probably be like, they must be bored. They don't have an Xbox, you know. But no, they're happy. They're like out there playing with a stick and a, a bicycle tire. And they're the happiest kids in the world. You don't have to have things to be content in that. It's all a matter of perspective. I told the first service this. Um, our house, we don't have a garage at our house. I, I don't know if they can, like, what was the garage was converted to, like, a big living room, which I love, but it drives me nuts because, and it rained yesterday, our kids, their bikes are outside in a bike rack. Yeah, we're that family, okay? And so when it rains, we have to bring their bikes inside to our living room, and it's a pain. I hate it because it scratches up the floor, and, you know, I know it's like a grumpy old man, all right? So they have to bring it inside. I'm like, I wish we just had a garage, well, then you talk to someone who has a garage, and they're like, I hate my garage. I can't even park my cars in a garage, right? I got more junk. Now, listen, we put all of our junk in a garage where someone in a third world country would love the space of our garage where we put our ratty tools and all of our junk that nobody wants. They would love to live in that space. It's all a matter of perspective. And Paul's like, hey, whatever you have, man, be thankful. Whatever it is, whatever you have right now, you don't, you don't have to have the, the biggest house and the, the better car. I mean, if you have that, great. If God's blessed you, that's how you want to, as long as you're a good steward of your money and your stuff, man, more power to you. But those aren't the things that bring contentment. That it's not related to your wealth and your, your, your materialistic things, and it's not related, true contentment is not related to your circumstances. Man, it's related to you abiding in God. Now, here's the beauty of this, is we're going to we're gonna step into communion here in a second. If you think about it, contentment really comes from the intersection of obedience and surrender. That when obedience 
and surrender intersect. That's when true contentment happens. And here's what I mean by that. When you truly obey God and you're like, hey, it's about your plan. It's not about my dreams and my passions. I just want to follow you, God. I'm going to do whatever it is, whatever it takes. I'm going to follow you. When you're obeying that way, and then it intersects with this surrender of the same thing. Hey, I, I want all these things, but you know what? Whatever you supply my need, you're the source of my strength. When those things intersect, that's, where, that's a perfect place to be. I'm fully content. I don't need anything else. I don't need anything more. I'm perfectly where exact and exactly where God has me to be. And if you think about that, I mean, that's exactly where Jesus was. Jesus was fully in obedience to God. That even to the, to the point of death on the cross, he said, I'm going to obey my God. Now, did he complain about it a little bit? Yeah, he's like, man, if you could take this cup away from me, I would really like that, God. But if it's your will, so be it. Surrender. He said, your will, not my will. So obedience and surrender got into, the, got into this intersection, came to this head, and it was perfect contentment. He desires that for us. So we're about to take communion together, and we haven't done this in a long time. And I kind of laugh because it's kind of COVID style because it's like two for one special. So as you walked in, um, you saw uh, little cups. They, got, they have a wafer on top and juice um, at the bottom. And, and this is a great symbol. And we do this as remembrance, um, really, for what Jesus has done for us. And we believe this. Um, we're not ashamed of this. Communion's meant for believers because as, as we believe, as we've stepped into obedience and surrender, and we realize that, hey, Jesus' body was broken for us and his blood was shed for us, that that's important to us, that we get to really celebrate that through communion. And, um, and so we get to do that now. Um, and if you, if you didn't get a chance to grab one, you can help yourself back there um, to it. You're not going to distract me. We want this to be an important time. For you, just this is going to be self-guided. For you, just as the band's about to sing, to really just reflect, okay, where am I in my walk with God? And am I fully content with where he has me right now? In, in the midst of whatever you're going through, good, bad, or ugly, right now, where he's at, I'm fully content. And if you're not, you, then just talk to God. Say, God, I'm not content. I need you. I want, I want to be fully satisfied in you. Help me in that. You might want to confess and just apologize. Or maybe you've been trying to find satisfaction and contentment in other things. And he's saying, hey, um, use this time to be fully content in him. Paul, I love this. You know, the same guy that said, um, to live is Christ, to die is gain. He really believed that his life was lived for Jesus. It was lived for him. It was about him. It was for him. His life was to him, and everything that he did was for God. Is that true of our lives this morning? So I'm going to pray, just however you feel led. If you want to pray as a family or with your spouse, really um, reflect on who he is and your life, you can, you can do that. The band will lead us, and at some point, um, you can stand, and we'll just close and worship together. But let's pray. Um, Father, we're so thankful that we can come to you and just as an act of obedience, but also celebration, celebrate what your son Jesus did for us. And as he came to that crossroads of obedience and surrender and gave his life for us, 
I love what he said to the thief who was a sinner next to him. He said, when that guy realized who he was, that you are the son of God, in that moment, Jesus said to him, today you will be with me in paradise. And so God, I pray that's a reflection of our hearts today, that we have come to that intersection of obedience saying, hey, I want to follow you, God, in my sin and in my shame that I want to give everything and I recognize Jesus died for me, but also in the act of surrender to say, it's not about me. It's not about all these desires that I want. I just want to follow you, God. And however that looks, whatever that means, whatever I have or don't have, I just want to honor you. God, let that be our hearts today. And so as we take communion together, let us recognize a little way for just symbolizing your body being broken for us and the blood of Jesus being shed for us so that we can really be fully satisfied in you. Not the things of this world, but in you. So as we, we take communion, as we sing this closing song, let us just celebrate that satisfaction that can only be found in you. In Jesus' name, amen.